<laughs> sermons. It has been my practice for years and years and years to preach through one of the Gospels between Christmas and Pentecost. And so we just finished a series through the Gospel of Mark. So today begins a new sermon series, four different sermons called Praying with the Giants. The four giants of which I speak are Moses, King David, Jeremiah, and Jesus. And the conversations they have in prayer with their Heavenly Father are conversations about excuses, sin, grief, and glory. Specifically, I'm, I'm looking at the opportunities that they had to name their excuses, their sin, their grief, and their glory. I don't know about you, but over the years I've had opportunity to go to Christian counselors and for the last 11 years to a spiritual director on a monthly basis, and I have discovered the value of naming things, of getting it out of your mind in articulated words. To name something is to bring it into focus. It's a lot easier to handle something if it's in focus, right? To name something is to expose it to the light and to see it for what it really is. To name something is to form a relationship with it. To name something is to gain a certain amount of authority over it. One psychologist defined trauma as experience seeking articulation. Trauma is experience seeking articulation. We experience trauma when something happens to us that we can't quite make sense of. It has not yet been named, and therefore it's traumatic. Uh, a spiritual director wrote, giving a name to an experience can liberate us. Experiences that go unnamed, however, can frighten or even paralyze us. But to name that thing can liberate us. So let's dive into uh, a conversation about Moses this morning, the first of our four prayer giants. And I'm going to begin his story in Hebrews, the other end of the Bible from Exodus chapter 3 and 4. So if you want to, join me in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. There's Moses' brief biography according to the author of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is oftentimes called the, the gallery of heroes of faith. 
And I got wondering this morning, it ends with that great cloud of witnesses in the beginning of chapter 12. It's not just the story of the people whose stories we have in chapter 11, right? It, it really is a chapter that could include, include anybody's story, right? So if you were going to write your name into that great chapter 11 gallery of the heroes of faith, what episode of faithfulness would you include? I'm not asking you to say it out loud, but I'd just like you to think for a moment. Bring to mind a time in your life when you responded with faith. A time perhaps that just, it, it changed much about your life because you were able in that moment to have faith. And if they were going to write you into chapter 11 of Hebrews, what would that story be? The reason I don't want you to say it out loud is because we human beings have this horrible tendency to hear somebody else's story of faith and say, oh, my story is not very interesting. My story is not very exciting. My faith wasn't all that big after all, was it? Can I get a witness, right? I don't know why this happens. Well, and so I got thinking about that in, in the context of Moses' story. His brief biographical summary here pictures him as this hero of faith. But we know that it wasn't always easy for Moses to have faith, don't we? He wasn't always one whose first response was, oh yeah, I'll do that. So let's look at one of those occasions. Join me back in Exodus chapter 3 for a more complete story of Moses' life. One where he had a few struggles, probably like ours. Exodus chapter, one, or chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. And this is where the sound system would put on the reverb. <laughs> Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to put on your imagination caps here this morning. I want you to imagine that you, with all of your glorious story, are standing there in Moses' sandals. Imagine that God has called you, Donna, John, Susan, Denise, has called you to go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of 400 plus years of slavery and oppression. <laughs> what would be the first excuse that you offer for why this is a horribly bad idea? What's that? I'm not smart enough. Who's going to take care of my husband while I'm off doing this, right? <laughs> what excuse would you give? Nobody's going to listen to me. They won't listen because I'm a woman. Leadership is not one of my gifts. <laughs> Trot out the old spiritual gift kind of thing. Yeah, you got the wrong person for this job. <laughs> so let's see how Moses responded. Picking up the story at verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. So Moses' first excuse is, who am I? I I'm not enough. You know my troubled history in Egypt. Yeah, I spent the first 40 years of my life as the grandson of the Pharaoh being prepared perhaps for the throne itself, but it ended there when I murdered. I, I, I killed a, an Egyptian taskmaster. I, I was driven, you know, it said he wasn't fearful of leaving Egypt over there in Hebrews chapter 11, but why did he leave Egypt? Because he was on Pharaoh's 10 most wanted list. And then he, he had spent 40 more years as a shepherd in the backside of a desert. Is that something you would put on your resume if you were going to go lead several million people out of captivity? <laughs> Me and a couple sheep, 40 years. I haven't read a good book in 40 years. I've just been sleeping outside under the stars for 40 years. I, who am I? I I'm not enough. And then there's this comparison. You know, God, this is the work of God's. <laughs> You're the one that should do this. Why are you calling to me? I'm a nobody. I'm not enough. But God's response is, 
I'll be with you. I'll be with you, and I'll give you this promise, this sign, that I'll bring you back to this very place. That's right, you're going to make it into Egypt, grab a whole bunch of people, and get out of Egypt safely so that you can come back here and worship me. I'll be with you. I got thinking about this glorious theme throughout the Bible of God being with us, God being the partner God being uh, the one who commissions us as ambassadors. God who says, I want you to be a steward. I mean, it's a story that comes out of the creation story and the flood story. It's the Abraham covenant story. It's the great commission of Jesus. It's Paul saying, we are his ambassadors. God is not just with us. God invites us to be his partners valuable partners in this endeavor. God is for us. God is with us. God is in us. God is preparing us. He's empowering us. He's perfecting us. Excuse number one, I'm not enough. Response, I will be with you. Pick up the story, verse 13. Moses said to God, second excuse, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, reverb, ready? I am who I am. Sorry. Yeah. I am who I am. Forget the reverb. <laughs> This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, say it with me, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders, I love that phrase, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. <laughs> so I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favor, favorably disposed toward this people so that, get this, when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians." Excuse me, God, but 
who are you? They're going to ask, who sent you? And what am I going to say? On whose authority? How do you know that this God is reliable? These are hard questions. I need answers. And God's response is to say, I am who I am. When you see the word God appearing, it's, it's one of the kind of generic titles that were used in the Old Testament. It's Elohim. Just a generic name. Other cultures used the same kind of a name to refer to their gods. Up until this time, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and jo Jacob was Elohim, a title, God. But now God introduces Moses to his personal name. A personal name, like David is a personal name. So what is God's personal name? I am Yahweh, Jehovah. I am the God who was and the God who is and the God who is to come. The God who knows the past and the present and the future. I love verse 18 because God is saying to Moses, they're going to listen to you. I can predict this is what they're going to do. They're going to listen to you. This is the God I am who goes on to make the most extraordinary, fantastic, unimaginable, uh, unimaginable prediction and promise ever made. When have you heard of slaves getting out of slavery into freedom and taking with them tons of gold and silver? You know, you, you know piece this together. When, when you begin to read later in Exodus, the description of the temple, or the tabernacle rather, all of the furnishings that belonged to, you know, where did they get tons and tons of gold and silver? Their next door neighbor gave it to them. <laughs> their captors, their oppressors gave it to them. So Moses says, you know, who sent me? And God says, I am the God who knows what's going to happen. I'm the one that's sending you. Excuse number two. Excuse number three, chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? My shepherd's staff. He replied, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it like anybody ordinarily would. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. <laughs> Who is this guy giving me instructions? Doesn't know, you don't pick up snake by the tail, right? So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and he tried to get as far away from himself as he possibly could. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. 
Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it onto the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. The next excuse. <clears throat> what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? I need proof. I can't be held responsible if they don't believe me. I, I need to have some proof. And so God's response is the rod turning into a serpent. It's the leprosy sign. God demonstrating his power to turn fear into faith, sickness into health. The Holy Spirit is always at work going ahead of us and following after us, isn't he? The Holy Spirit prepares us for what's going to happen before it ever happens, and then he follows along after us picking up the pieces. That's just what the Lord does in our lives when he calls us to mission. The Spirit is the compelling voice in our personal testimony, isn't he? Moses, your life is going to be a sign. They will believe you. So they won't believe me, but I'll give you a sign. I'll give you several signs. Now let's pick up the story at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Can you hear the tone of voice there? One more, maybe. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant in the last five minutes here. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Excuse, I don't speak very well. I'm just going to get it all garbled up. God's response. Do you think I picked you by mistake? Do you think I did not know what your shortcomings were already? And yet here I am, I'm calling you, Moses. I will help you speak. One of my favorite missionary evangelism verses in the New Testament is that time when Jesus says, I'm sending you out and and the, the, the disciples say, but we, we don't know what to say. We don't speak very eloquently. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. I am going to give you words to say that your enemies will not be able to refuse or to contradict. Moses, you're not in this alone. I will help you speak. God fully expects us to be insufficient on our own for the task. God is not coming to us because we have set ourselves apart from all of the other evangelists or missionaries or, or whoever because we're so great at anything. God calls us, God meets with us, God invites us to be a part of his mission because we are insufficient to the task. And he says, my strength, 
will be made perfect in your weakness. It doesn't matter what's on your resume or not on your resume. God says, I'm going to take whatever you have to offer and I am going to make it work. Moses, I don't speak well. God, I'll speak for you. Verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Again. Please send someone else. I love how polite he is when talking to the Lord. Please send somebody else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Not the first time, right? I mean, it is the first time, but not the last. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. <laughs> kind of had an indication you'd float this theory of incompetence, but you know, he's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you, no less. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you, as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. The excuse, send somebody else, I'm not going. You've got the wrong person. It's not my gift. And God's response is to say, you will not be alone. It's kind of coming full circle from the first excuse. God says, I'll be with you in verse 12. And here he says, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you your brother Aaron. You won't be alone. We are never to minister alone, are we? I say, we are never called to minister alone, are we? We are part of the body of Jesus Christ, a body which is made up of many parts. Each part has its own function, and it can funct can't function without the others. Jesus sent his disciples out one by one, didn't he? No, he sent his disciples out two by two. We're never supposed to be alone. And interestingly enough, it's a human partner that finally convinces Moses that he can embark on this mission for God. <laughs> Send somebody else, he says. God says with a little anger in his voice, I'll provide a partner. So while the Hebrews chapter 11 story of Moses portrays him as a hero of faith, this episode shows us how Moses' faith was formed through this conversation with God, right? He didn't start out being a hero of faith. He started out being an excuse maker. This is the conversation I would suggest to you that made him a giant of prayer. We are being called just as Moses was called. Moses was called to go back 
and liberate a people who had been enslaved for hundreds of years, to lead a people who had been oppressed horribly for 400 years. He was called to take them into freedom, called to lead them out of slavery into freedom, into the promised land. God is calling us in the same way. The Great Commission sounds an awful lot like the conversation Moses had with God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to go out into the world and make disciples. I want you to find people who are enslaved and oppressed by sin and sinfulness, and I want you to lead them to the throne of God, where they will be set free from their sin, where they will live in a promised land called the kingdom of God, where they will become the people of God. Moses, go back to Egypt. The rest of us, go and make disciples. This is the same commission, isn't it? And I would imagine, if you're like me, and I know I am, that this is a little bit overwhelming for a lot of us, isn't it? We can look back a couple, a few thousand years and make fun of Moses' excuses, but honestly, have you ever floated an excuse for why you can't go and make disciples? Come on, let me see the hands. (laughs) Yeah, at least one because it can be an overwhelming call. But Moses had the opportunity to express, to articulate, to name his excuses. And prayer is our opportunity to name our excuses as well. Perhaps this afternoon, spend some time in chapter three and chapter four, looking at those excuses and saying, how would I put that into my own situation? How would I articulate? How would I name that excuse myself? But prayer gives God the opportunity to address and to overcome our excuses one by one. I mentioned my experiences over the last 25 years, three different times I've spent several months with a Christian counselor sorting through my excuses and my anxieties and my depression. I've spent the last 11 years meeting on a monthly basis with spiritual directors who do a lot of listening, which means I've got to put things into words. I've got to articulate things. They call it the talking cure, and I'm testimony that that it works. Because you see, in our minds and our hearts, we have all of these anxieties, all of these excuses, all of these fears, and they're just kind of jumbled up in our minds without much clarity. We just, we know we're, we're not the person to, to, to go on this mission for you, God. I can't go and make disciples because I've got all this stuff. But when we, in prayer, name our anxieties, our thoughts, our excuses, our fears then God has an opportunity to address them one at a time. It does us no good just to bring in our giant blob of excuses and lay them on the table and say, God, I can't do it. See you later. But if I say, Lord, I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid they'll say no. I'm afraid that the friendship will end. I'm afraid I'll get fired. I'm afraid I won't have the right answers. I'm afraid I won't be able to think on my feet fast. Well, then one by one, God, just as he said to Moses, can say, well, let me tell you about what I'm prepared to do in the face of that excuse. 
And that's what happened. One by one, Moses rolled out his excuses, and one by one, God proved that he had the grace to overcome them all. That's what made Moses a giant of prayer, because he named his excuses. Hebrews chapter 11 portrays Moses as the hero of faith. But it's in chapters 3 and chapters four of, chapter 4 of, of Exodus that we find Moses becoming a model of prayer. There are 10,000 excuses for not following God's call. Can I get an amen? But God has grace to meet them all. Amen? Ordinarily at this point, there's this little perfunctory pastoral prayer to wrap things up. That perfunctory is not what it is, of course. I'm sincere. Pastors who pray after they preach are sincere about it. But for the next four weeks, I want to spend some time doing more than just wrapping things up with a little pastoral prayer. I would like us to spend some time in prayer. Were we looking at giants of prayer? So let's see ourselves in the mirror. Perhaps there's a bit of a giant in us too. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and focus on the fact that we are standing there with Moses in his sandals and God is calling us to the Great Commission. For the past five months, we've been praying specifically for one person, a co-worker, a fellow student, a neighbor, a family member, somebody that doesn't know Christ. We have a Great Commission that's just as fearsome, perhaps, as God's call to Moses. I'd like you to name one or two of the excuses that you have used. Maybe you've never thought about it in an organized way. You might never have talked to anybody about it. You probably haven't spoken about it to God, but I'd like you to have a conversation with God right now about one or two of your excuses. And as you name them, more importantly, I want you to listen to what God says in response, because I have the sneaking suspicion that the God who answered Moses' excuses is still the God who talks to us on a daily basis. So tell him about your excuse and listen for a reply. And you better do this because I'm going to be coming around with a microphone in short order and asking for a few people to share what they heard. So take it seriously, all right? Great Commission. Excuses. Listen for God's answers.
Lord, we believe that you are with us. We believe that you have linked us up with partners in ministry to encourage us. We believe that you prepare the hearts and the minds and the ears of those with whom we will have conversations this week and that you fill our minds and our hearts and our mouths with the words that need to be spoken, the actions that need to be lived. Lord, we believe that you are the one who is orchestrating all of this, going before us, going with us, following along after us. We believe you are a God who speaks to our excuses, our fears, our anxieties, our difficulties. And we trust that while we are not enough, that you are enough. So we give you this week. We give you these conversations. We give you these opportunities. Be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. So did you name an excuse and did you hear God say something to address that excuse? And can you in one or two sentences articulate that to the rest of us? Because I'd really like to know that God is at work. dichotomy in it now and um, I think that um, you see it on Facebook and everything so the disparity between the Christian believer and the non-believer is huge so there's a kind of a uh, I don't know trepidation speaking God's word and so I think uh, but but God is with us and God is for us and, and um, the truth is the truth Oh, it needs to be spoken. Praise God. I hear confidence in your voice, Brian. Thanks. One other person hear God say something to address the excuses? Susan? When I walk on my treadmill, I have three prayers all printed out. Uh, one is the serenity prayer. God, uh, help me to... No, I forgot it. I've prayed it for years. Give me the whatever to do the things that I need to do to change the things that I can. And that's, that's uh, and yeah, the wisdom to know the difference. That's a good one to do. And God seemed to be saying to me, because here I am saying, you know, I'm old. I'm in a lot of pain most of the time. I can't walk very well. I can't get around very well. There's so many things I can't do. And God seemed to say, change the things you can. And I've got a couple of things that I need to change. And I plan to do it with his help. And I thank you. Praise God. Praise God. I see one more hand. Denise. I was thinking about <clears throat> the fact that I'm rather self-conscious and being made fun of and reminded that um, God is the only one that's allowed to be judgeful of me. And 
then the other thing I thought of the entire time that you were speaking is one of my favorite things is that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. Truer words were never spoken. So it would be great if next Sunday we have a little testimony time and we hear how God has actually come through in the conversations that you've had this week. We believe God calls us to be a part of the Great Commission and that God can address every one of our excuses so that we can be more than conquerors, right? Amen.